0: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey Tara, as you know, I've been going back to therapy and I absolutely love it. You've been going back to therapy too, right?
1: Oh yeah, I went back to therapy and I went back to BetterHelp as well.
0: Did you really? And how's that working out for you?
1: I love it because there's so many therapists to choose from on there. Whatever you need, you could just go through a list. I went through a list the other day, just seeing what they had to offer. There was one with PTSD.
0: There's so many great therapists. I mean, I believe there's over 30,000 different therapists that are on their app and you can communicate with them with video conferencing. You can do messages and communicate with your therapist. It's a very personalized experience, which I really love.
1: Oh, yes. I texted with a therapist the other day and I'm never tried that out before. And I was like, oh, because I was typing it out with her processing through it. And usually I get angry when I type stuff out, but I was like, oh, I was able to process it and work through it in a new way.
0: And you know what? In a season of giving, what better gift than to give yourself the gift of therapy?
1: In the season of giving, give yourself what you need with better help. Visit betterhelp.com/survivor today to get 10% off your first month. That's slash survivor
0: Trigger warning. This podcast discusses themes centered around emotional, physical, and sexual violence. While the stories of the survivors are meant to be inspiring and informative, listener discretion is advised. If you're struggling with any of the aforementioned issues, Links to resources can be found in the show notes of today's episode.
2: One of the things that I've always felt was kind of sad about my own case, like your case, for instance, right? Like you're talking about your dad murdering your mom and you playing a very central role in solving that crime, but also being under threat because of that crime. Like there's a very good reason why you became very central to that story. There is not a good reason why I became central to the story that I became the center of. I should have been a footnote in the story of what happened to Meredith. I had two other roommates and a lot of people don't even know they exist. And that would have been my story. I would have basically been like one of those roommates who just happened to be living in the same space as this young person who was so horrifically, you know, raped and murdered in her own home.
1: Hi, Survivors, I'm Tara Newell.
0: And I'm Collier Landry, and welcome to the Survivor Squad Podcast.
1: Yes, welcome.
0: So, uh, Tara, we have a really big guest for today's episode.
1: Oh yeah, we do. I just finished a 12 hour audiobook on her that she wrote herself. And I just like could not, it was so intense. The story was, Incredible because what she had to go through to get out of her, out of this. It was an ordeal. Yeah, it was was an ordeal. ordeal.
0: I just watched uh, her documentary. You read a book, but I'd rather watch a documentary.
1: (laughs) Well, probably because you made one, right?
0: Yes, because, you know, as someone who made a documentary, of course, and I am very, you know, fascinated. And of course, I'm like really delving into the details and like the, I'm like, oh my God, the lighting is so good and the shots are so good. And the and it was really, even though it's a heartbreaking story, I was like, oh, this is really well done. I mean, you know how like pedantic I can be about those details and, uh, and f- film, I'm a filmmaker, right? So that's what wait, I do. Wait, wait, Pen- P- pedantic
1: pen-dantic.
0: Pedantic. <laughs> pedantic. <See>?
1: Pedantic. Pedantic. <laughs> wait, tell me about this word. Is that your word so, of the day?
0: So I guess I guess we have to have a word of the day because, you know I'm like a wonk for my bo- vocabulary, so uh, yeah, pedantic would be the word of the day. And, uh, you know, you should I just go to Google and just show just share the definition? Let's just do that.
1: Please do. <laughs> I just really want to know what it is.
0: The definition of pedantic is someone who is very concerned with the details of a subject and tends to overtly show off their knowledge.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: An example of someone who is pedantic is a person at a party who bores everyone while talking at length about the (laughs) origin and details of a particular piece of pottery.
1: Well, I don't think you're boring.
0: (laughs) I do think that maybe perhaps I could be a little bit overt in... uh...
1: (laughs) Do you talk to people about pottery at parties though? Is that what you do? No.
0: No. That would never be something that I would discuss.
1: Well one time I did discuss. one time in high school I did the pottery class and stuff. That was fun. An experience.
0: I think when everybody thinks about pottery, they think about ghost. So ghosts? Anyways. Yep. Okay. And now our age gap is showing. Right now in front of everyone. <laughs> There's a movie, Patrick Swayze, Demi Moore. There's a scene. Oh,
1: uh, there's okay. a throwing wheel. <laughs> okay, I haven't seen that movie. <laughs>
0: oh boy, Unchained Melody. I mean, the whole thing, the whole, the the whole, every reference is lost on you, and that and that's okay. That is okay because you know what? We're here to talk about Amanda Knox, who is our guest for today. And you know, one of the things that that I was realizing is you know how we got together with this podcast, right? Is you know, you and I were talking about how. When you become a public figure in the true crime space, or or even if you don't become a public figure in the true crime space, your story just becomes public. Yeah, everyone seems to have an opinion on you and who you are and what your story is. I mean, you've experienced this with with your story and the television show Dirty John. Oh yeah, yes. absolutely.
1: Everybody is like, "Oh, Julia Gardner, like you did this, you did that." I'm like. Wait, no, someone portrayed me on TV. That wasn't me.
0: Yeah, but also they have, they think that there's a particular narrative that have led, led to the events that occurred, right? And so you have to-
1: Oh yeah, like the victim shaming and stuff.
0: Victim shaming, victim blaming. I mean, I know for myself, look, I put myself out there. I made the film A Murder Mansfield. I am in it and, and I know what it's like to to face, you know, scrutiny for that. And, you know, look, my father murdered my mother. So I've had to constantly live under that veil of scrutiny since I was 12 years old. So there was an article in The Atlantic last year and it, the title was Who Owns Amanda Knox, right?
1: Yeah.
0: She wrote the story for The Atlantic and it says, 14 years ago, I was wrongfully convicted of murdering my roommate ever since the world has believed it can tell me who I really am. That is one of the things that makes us unique with this podcast. We as survivors can really engage with another true crime survivor.
1: We can understand her on a different level where, you know, everybody's story's different and we can't say that we fully understand that person, but there's a part of like a squad.
0: It's a squad that really no one wants to be a part of.
1: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Because we
0: wish that we had these fairy tale lives that exist, but unfortunately we don't. But it's interesting because I feel like one of the things when you are in this public domain of true crime, is that people can sort of tell you who you are. Yeah. Oh, you're like, for example, you, oh, you're just the the girl who who killed John Meehan in self-defense and did you really, did you murder him? Did you do this? There's a lot of scrutiny that's coming on. Why did you get away with that? Weren't you arrested? And you're like, well, because he came at me and tried to take my life, Yeah. was I supposed to lay down? I mean.
1: Or do I fight back? You know, if I didn't fight back, I wouldn't be here.
0: Exactly, and your family probably would not be here.
1: Yes, yeah, so we're making the best of it, and I can't wait to dive in today's story.
0: So uh, let's talk to Amanda Knox.
1: Let's do it.
2: I'm doing well. Yeah, I'm keeping busy, uh, working on Labyrinths with my husband, doing full-time childcare. Uh, all of that adds up, so that's why I look a little disheveled today, and I'm hiding that with the headphones. <laughs> oh, you look great,
1: Amanda. I met you before on um, Lenora's, you know, company. Cool, and then. Oh, great. Collier is like, I don't know if you saw his story, but he's another
2: true crime survivor. Oh man. Yeah. Well, welcome to the club. <laughs> well
0: I wanted to say, you know, I just watched your documentary.
2: Ah yes. The filmmakers were very solid and, and um and they were very, very mindful of how they did it. Like even just the interview with me—that straight-on interview.
0: Yes. Yeah. When you talk about true crime, and and this is sort of the impetus behind Survivor Squad, was I did not realize because my whole career I always took control of my story. Mm. So I became a mm-hmm. filmmaker. I was forced into true crime, much like all of us were. Nobody was trying to tell my story. And something that grabbed me was your article in the Atlantic. But I didn't didn't realize until I was talking to Tara how unique that was. Yeah,
2: no, to your point, um, I think it is really, really interesting how it is absolutely true that some cases, for whatever reason, blow up. Uh, There's something about them that is just speaking to the cultural moment and then everybody hears about them all the time and they are turned into a million different books and TV shows and movies. And then there are just as legitimate, if not, you know, other crimes that are happening and real people who are suffering who you never hear about who want to tell their story and and want to have a voice in that experience. And I think the thing and and don't get the chance. And so why is it that some cases blow up the way that they do while others do not? And also, I think the the more new conversation that I think we're having and that a lot of people who have been exploited or are aware of the media exploitation of these stories are asking is well how come like people say that because we're the center of these stories or we've been directly impacted by these stories that we don't have a legitimate objective perspective to this phenomenon of crime and of survival and all of that we have to be someone else's subject and it's only a very recent thing that people have said, no, actually, I have my own perspective. Like, I know how to tell my own story. And just because I happen to be directly impacted by it does not mean that I am any less capable. And in fact, I think a lot of people take for granted that someone who is for whatever reason outside of the case, not directly impacted by it, is therefore going to have the best perspective of it. And I think we're, we're sort of realizing that lie, that like this lie of objectivity that like, because you have not been directly impacted by something, you are therefore going to see it the most clearly. And it's like, no, you're coming to it also because of your own personal bullshit. Like storytellers are making their own decisions based upon their personal feelings feelings and how they appreciate these things. So learning about that lie of of and becoming more literate about media, both traditional journalistic reportage and also Hollywood entertainment storytelling, how those things work together, um, how those play into how stories are told in the courtroom setting, they all are connected. And to think that they are all doing their like separate thing with their separate experts and everyone who's at the center and directly impacted by those stories doesn't really have a say is being called into question, and I think, for good reason. 100%. 100%.
0: 100%. 100%. Yeah. So, on that note, why don't you share with us, in your own words, what happened?
2: The big what happened. Um, I mean, one of the things that I've always uh, felt was kind of sad about my own case, like, <sighs> Your case, for instance, right, like you're talking about your dad murdering your mom and you playing a very central role in solving that crime, but also being under threat because of that crime. Like there's a very good reason why you became very central to that story. There is not a good reason why I became central to the story that I became the center of. I. I should have been a footnote in the story of what happened to Meredith. Yep. Um, and I should I I had two other roommates and a lot of people don't even know they exist. And for that would have been my story. I would have basically been like one of those roommates who just happened to be living in the same space as this young person who was so horrifically, you know raped and murdered in her own home while studying abroad like that is the story of of Meredith is she went to study abroad as many young women do. And one day when she was home alone, someone broke into our home and raped and murdered her and then fled the country. What's really sad is that it's not that extraordinary of a story, as horrific as it is. People breaking into people's houses and, and murdering them and burglaries gone wrong, unfortunately, happen, um, pretty often and they don't tend to get a lot of media attention. Um, in, in this case, it, it did get immediate in, um, international attention because it became immediately an international story. Um, this young woman was studying abroad. She had everything going for her. And it was a, it was a horrific crime that came about in this very small, sheltered town where there were a lot of students. There was a huge student population in Perugia. And Murders were not something that you heard about it. This wasn't, you know, New York in the 80s where there's a murder every block like this is Perugia, where the last time there was like a big, you know, murder scandal was like back in the 80s. Like this was unheard of. And so For this to suddenly happen in this small town, it just completely threw the town in disarray. Everyone lost their minds. And the international media descended upon that moment and really took hold of the narrative very early on and put a lot of pressure on the police to deliver information that they could turn into an entertainment product and that led into this vicious feedback cycle of the police then providing information that was unsubstantiated that then was being churned out in the media and then they were having to they felt a lot of pressure to uphold their sense of uh, propriety and righteousness and professionalism in the face of unsubstantiated information It was a a perfect storm. And I just happened to be stuck in the center of it because I was one of um, Meredith's roommates and I was the first of the roommates to come home and discover the crime scene.
0: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey Tara, as you know, I've been going back to therapy and I absolutely love it. You've been going back to therapy too, right?
1: Oh yeah, I went back to therapy and I went back to BetterHelp as well.
0: Did you really? And how's that working out for you?
1: I love it because there's so many therapists to choose from on there. Whatever you need, you could just go through a list. I went through a list the other day, just seeing what they had to offer. There was one with PTSD.
0: There's so many great therapists. I mean, I believe there's over 30,000 different therapists that are on their app and you can communicate with them with video conferencing. You can do messages and communicate with your therapist. It's a very personalized experience, which I really love.
1: Oh, yes. I texted with a therapist the other day and I'm never tried that out before. And I was like, oh, because I was typing it out with her processing through it. And usually I get angry when I type stuff out, but I was like, oh, I was able to process it and work through it in a new way.
0: And you know what? In a season of giving, what better gift than to give yourself the gift of
1: therapy? In the season of giving, give yourself what you need with better help. Visit BetterHelp.com survivor today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, hel dot slash survivor. And when you came there, you saw the crime scene first, and then you um, left the crime scene because you thought someone was there, right?
2: Yeah, so when I first um, came home that day, um, When we say discovered the crime scene, um, I did not stumble upon Meredith's body. And in fact, um, I never personally saw Meredith's body in person. Um, I'm lucky, Um, I'm lucky because my other roommate did. Um, What I came home to was a number of odd things around my house. My front door was open. Um, There was a few drops of blood in my sink. There was some feces left in the second bathroom toilet. All things that pointed to something is off but at the time did not suggest to me that some horrific crime had occurred. I just didn't know what was off. I knew that something was wrong. And so I went to go get, I had spent the night at my boyfriend's house. I went back to my house to take a shower, change my clothes, get ready to go off for a romantic weekend with my boyfriend. And I was like, ooh, um, something feels off.
0: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey Tara, as you know, I've been going back to therapy and I absolutely love it. You've been going back to therapy too, right?
1: Oh yeah, I went back to therapy and I went back to BetterHelp as well.
0: Did you really? And how's that working out for you?
1: I love it because there's so many therapists to choose from on there. Whatever you need, you could just go through a list. I went through a list the other day, just seeing what they had to offer. There was one with PTSD.
0: There's so many great therapists. I mean, I believe there's over 30,000 different therapists that are on their app and you can communicate with them with video conferencing. You can do messages and communicate with your therapist. It's a very personalized experience, which I really love.
1: Oh, yes. I texted with a therapist the other day and I'm never tried that out before. And I was like, Oh, because I was typing it out with her processing through it. And usually I get angry when I type stuff out. But I was like, Oh, I was able to process it and work through it in a new way.
0: And you know what, in a season of giving, what better gift than to give yourself the gift of therapy
1: in the season of giving, give yourself what you need with better help. Visit betterhelp.com slash survivor today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash survivor.
2: And in fact, this feces in the toilet thing gives me the creeps. I get that like vibe of like someone's watching me. I immediately leave my house and I go get him. And I'm like, hey, can you go back to my house with me and tell me if I'm overreacting? You know, like is should like my gift of fear is flaring, but I don't really know why. Can you help me figure out what to do about this? He goes back with me. We do a little more poking around and we discover in my other roommate's bedrooms that there has been a break in that there there's glass everywhere. A rock was thrown through the window. We start poking around the rest of the house. One of my roommate's rooms is perfectly clean, spotless. Weirdly, nothing seems to have been stolen. Our computers, our cameras are all still laid out in plain sight. Nothing has been taken. But Meredith's door is locked and we call the police. We call my roommates. Um, Two of my roommates don't answer their phones, but one of them does. She meets us back at the house. The police descend upon our house and um, Philomena, one of my roommates, and the police break open Meredith's door and really discover the crime scene, which is where Meredith fought for her life and died. Wow.
1: I can't even imagine. What was it like to receive that news in that moment?
2: Um, Well, receiving that news is a very generous word because the way that it was all my the way that I first discovered that Meredith had been murdered was um, uh, kind of chaotic and frantic. Everyone started screaming in Italian very fast. And so I did not see into Meredith's room. I was in the kitchen talking to another police officer, telling him about what I had seen when I first came home. I was telling him, you know, here's this break in. Um, and then the other police officer went with Philomena to open Meredith's door. And so I did not see in um, all I all all of a sudden people started yelling in Italian and I understood a word here and there. I understood, you know, blood. I heard someone say blood. I heard someone say foot. I heard someone say Meredith. I heard someone say wardrobe. But all of this all scrambled together with people talking over each other, yelling, crying hysterically and pushing us out of the house into the driveway. Just. All of a sudden, our house is closed off as a crime scene and I have no idea what is going on. And so it actually took quite a long time for me to get confirmation about what I was even what was even seen in that room, Um, because, again, everyone was yelling and talking over each other in Italian. And I couldn't understand what people were saying. So it was. We were questioned by police. Um, We were sort of separated and isolated from each other. And over the course of that morning, I got word from Philomena and from Philomena's friends who were with her that yes, it was Meredith's body. And Meredith's body was found on the ground, covered by a blanket with her foot sticking out. Um that there was blood everywhere. Um and later when I was taken to the police office, I was um, informed by a police officer that Meredith had been stabbed to death. So it was, again, like it's it was this like slow unraveling of information for me because I didn't I didn't see what happened to Meredith. I didn't see into her room and I couldn't understand what everyone was saying. So it was, um, a very confusing time period for me. Very, like, shock, not really knowing what's going on, being confused about what I was supposed to do. Um, that that was my, my feeling, was being unsure of what was actually going on, what I was supposed to do, watching my one of my roommates, Philomena, just, like, losing her mind, crying hysterically, like, and I just did not, I did not know.
1: Well, I'm so sorry.
2: Yeah, it, it was um I think that one of the other things that took me a long time to really understand was like really fully comprehending the the gravity of the situation. Um because sure, Of course. <laughs> it's so surreal. It's like Yes. You know, like you don't wake up one day you're going about your business and think somebody you knew was murdered and you're about to find out like it it's such it it felt i definitely felt in those early days like i was like it it was absolutely surreal and i felt Like, especially because here I am in this foreign place where like everyone around me is not people I know, like everything was new and foreign and strange and delivered to me in bits and pieces. And so it took me a second to like fully comprehend and appreciate what was going on and even even after i was you know put handcuffs put on me and i was brought to a prison cell i didn't fully understand what was happening to to me to the case anything
0: that is wild it takes me this moment in the in the film when they have that you know obviously somebody's you know filming for the press and your boyfriend is comforting you
2: mm, so now with yeah. you
0: describing what happened mm. you literally are probably going baby, what's happening? Yeah. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I don't understand what they're saying. What is going on? Yep. It's so interesting when we talk about the way that the media or the fantastical Hollywood machine weaves mm. all these parts and pieces together to come up with a good story, right? Right. And how they make it seem like, oh, this is, you know, after she's committed this horrific crime. This is just staggering to me that, first of all, I didn't know you had two other roommates. And right. And, it's just, and, and, and they have to break open a door. Did you know
2: that they actually caught the guy who did it? I'd be...
0: <laughs> No, I know that G'day, G'day is still yeah. in prison, correct?
2: No, he's been released from prison.
0: He has. Okay.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. He served 13 years.
0: He was swiftly convicted.
2: Swiftly and relatively quietly convicted. Yes. Separately from me and Raffaele.
0: And then they went after you. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. So talk about that.
2: Yeah, because they arrested us first. Yes. Right. So, yes. Yeah, so the way that this and this is interesting for a lot of wrongful conviction stories, because generally when you hear sure. about a wrongful conviction story, you hear about a case where. They um, a real murder happened and they just happened to have gotten the wrong guy. And so and one of the big obstacles is you say, well, you know, we have this DNA and we discover it's not person a that we thought it's actually person B who went on to commit more crimes. And so that that's a really standard story that you hear in the wrongful conviction community. It's very, very shocking um, and more uncommon um, to hear a case about how they got the right guy, but they also decided to go after an innocent person. And in this case, me and Raffaele. Um, So they they arrested Raffaele and me, um, my boyfriend of five days for the record, um, who was my alibi. Um, They arrested us and charged us with murder. four days after the crime scene was first discovered. So before they had processed the crime scene to a great degree, right? Like they were they're in the process of gathering evidence from the crime scene, but they had yet to really process that evidence to like do examinations of the fingerprints and footprints that were left in Meredith's blood, like legit stuff that would point you to the person who had committed this crime. And they Felt under a lot of pressure um, from international media to arrest someone as soon as possible. And so they brought Raffaele and I into separate interrogation rooms after four days of constant questioning and coerced us into signing statements. And we then were brought to jail and charged with this crime. And in the weeks following they processed the evidence at the crime scene. And what they found was not evidence of me, not evidence of Raffaele, evidence of a known local burglar named Rudy Gadet, who had a MO, a history of breaking and entering into people's homes, making himself at home, making himself comfortable, his, you know, like making himself food, using the bathroom, just sort of hanging out in people's empty spaces after he had broken in, which is exactly what he did with our house. He made himself comfortable. He went and used the bathroom. And what I think actually happened is that he broke into our home while Meredith was away. All of us were out of the house. We, I was with my boyfriend. Meredith spent the evening hanging out with her girlfriends. And she walked back home around nine o'clock-ish and discovered him already in our house. Um, So she came home, he was in the bathroom when she arrived. That's why I think he didn't flush the toilet so that he wouldn't alert her to his presence. And then he attacked her in her room. So his DNA evidence was all over the crime scene, his fingerprints, his footprints and her blood. He then fled the country and they were able to catch him in Germany where he was like, Running away under a false name. But of course, all of this comes out after the police have already arrested Raffaele and me, and after they have announced to the world, held a press conference, that case closed. We solved this case. Give us a pat on the back. We are so professional. Suddenly, they've got mud all over their face, and they go, Okay, how do we grapple with this situation? Do we go after the guy who actually did it and release the people who there's no evidence of them at the crime scene? Or do we concoct a scenario where where they are all in on it together? And that's what they decided to do is they they wanted to build a case where Rudy Gaudet was primarily responsible for raping Meredith, but that I was the criminal mastermind who had orchestrated the entire thing and stabbed her to death.
1: And that just doesn't make sense to me. You know, just saying that out loud. Yeah, it just does just like, sound oh. like
2: it's a bit of a stretch, especially because I didn't know Rudy Gaudet. Um, yeah, I have no history of violent or behavioral issues. Um, yeah, it was it was absolutely concocted out of nothing because they felt themselves backed in a corner and that they had to force these people who didn't know each other into a scenario together. And the way that they did that was by talking about there There was like satanic panic overtones to this story. Meredith was murdered the day after Halloween. And so originally the prosecution's theory was that this was a sort of satanic orgy like death ritual um, where I had orchestrated some kind of occult sex murder. But then that was pared down to, oh, it just is a women who hate women kind of sex murder, a uh, sex game gone wrong kind of thing.
1: Yeah, that's bonkers. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry you had to go through that.
2: It's, it's, it's interesting to look back on it today because like, even at the time I was, I had the same reaction that you did. I was like, this is clearly nonsense. Like the adults in the room are going to see through this. Right.
0: Right. And I spent
2: two years in prison, utterly having total faith in that. And it was only when I was pronounced guilty and sentenced to 26 years in prison that I realized that there were no adults in the room and i could not count on that anymore
0: i think what the thing that catches me which is what i noticed as we were talking earlier is that this is just a case of they're embarrassed and they're going to get someone at all cost i mean they've obviously concocted this complete narrative and then they look like fools and instead of just doing the right thing and letting you go and saying sorry they just go through with this all to it's all based on hubris and
2: yeah. And I, and I think the thing that's most fascinating about that is, you know, I've thought a lot about this because like one of the things that I have really struggled with and I'm sure you both have struggled with as well is like when harm has been done to you, the, one of the big questions is why? Why? Did this happen to me? Why? I do a TED talk about it. <laughs> I know. Why? Oh my God, why? why? Like it? No, why? <laughs> and like for me, I've really had to settle, like, I don't know how you guys have done. I'd be really interested to know how you guys have thought about this. But like one of the big things that I have forced myself to do is to try to put myself in the shoes of my prosecutors. And like one thing I know about my prosecutors is that they think they were right. They have convinced themselves that they had reason to believe the things that they believed. And I think one of those things is the unconscious bias that they have that like here they are. They they think of themselves as good people. They think of themselves who are like, we are justice people. We are law enforcement. We can't do wrong. And as a result, they don't recognize how their own unconscious bias is playing into their ability to look rationally at evidence. So, yeah.
0: It's astonishing. But it's it's also
2: like so human. That's what's really scary about it.
0: And there, you know, it's like when I confront my father in my film, Mm. because I have a whole confrontation scene with him, and he thinks I'm making a film to get him out of prison, because he's a narcissist. But he tells a completely different story than he told because he testified at his trial which is ultimately besides my testimony the other thing that really sealed his fate but you know um he tells a totally different story Uh, and it's just unbelievable (laughs) Mm. and i'm like i don't believe you you know but they concoct it's like the mind is a very powerful thing right you can concoct yourself and so that is a that is a nature of something that like Somebody something that did it was horrible right mm. and then i see and then i on the flip side you have something that people also did to you that was horrible but they were trying to do it because they they're self-righteous or they they're oh we're the we're doing good so we possibly can't do anything wrong right you know and then that that sort of reverse ego plays in to their sort of narrative and that they've created for themselves to justify yeah. what they've done it's astonishing and you know, how do you, how do you move past that? Right. And how do you, as a survivor, you know, you lost many years of your life. Uh, what is your process in looking back at that? You've put yourself in their shoes, but what does that look like hmm. for you now, as far as how you cope with this?
2: It's a really good question, um, although I will say that everything you're talking about with your own case just makes me want to, like, talk to you because I, on the one hand, I, I don't know, a part of me feels like I'm just a very, very lucky person. And there's, there's a reason for that. Right. Like <laughs> you don't think, oh, the girl who went to prison for four years for a crime she didn't commit, she's lucky. Like, no, she's so freaking unlucky. But I do. I don't know. I think my mind is really good um, at unconsciously, first of all, like finding the silver lining of things. And this is not something I even have to try to do. It's like, OK. Uh, one of the first things that I thought of when I finally realized that Meredith had been murdered was, oh my God, I could have been murdered too. Like, if I had not met this Raffaele five days before Meredith was murdered, I would have been at home and I would have been raped and murdered too. And so it's a part of me was has always had this kind of I won't even I mean, part of it is kind of survivor's guilt, but also it's just survivor's gratitude of 100%. like realizing like, I I was that close to something really, really, truly horrific. And I'm here to tell the tale. And what, what an incredible thing to still have to be alive. So, a part of me is always drawn to that angle of it because it is so viscerally true to me that like I could, what happened to Meredith, I, that did not happen to me just by sheer luck.
0: This concludes part one of our two-part episode. Can't wait for part two? Please subscribe to the Survivor Squad Patreon to receive exclusive early access to all episodes.
1: On that note, survivors, I'm Tara Newell.
0: And I'm Collier Landry.
1: And this is the Survivor Squad Podcast.
0: We'll see you guys. Bye. The Survivor Squad Podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And please consider supporting this program by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Survivor Squad. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey, Tara, as you know, I've been going back to therapy and I absolutely love it. You've been going back to therapy too, right?
1: Oh, yeah. I went back to therapy and I went back to BetterHelp as well.
0: Did you really? And how's that working out for you?
1: I love it because there's so many therapists to choose from on there. Whatever you need, you could just go through a list. I went through a list the other day, just seeing what they had to offer. There was one with PTSD.
0: There's so many great therapists. I mean, I believe there's over 30,000 different therapists that are on their app and you can communicate with them with video conferencing. You can do messages and communicate with your therapist. It's a very personalized experience, which I really love.
1: Oh, yes. I texted with a therapist the other day and I'm never tried that out before. And I was like, Oh, because I was typing it out with her processing through it. And usually I get angry when I type stuff out. But I was like, Oh, I was able to process it and work through it in a new way.
0: And you know what, in a season of giving, what better gift than to give yourself the gift of therapy
1: in the season of giving, give yourself what you need with better help. Visit BetterHelp.com/survivor today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp hel slash survivor